Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Boss is sort of a frame of mind, like it's a mentality. I think leadership can come from anywhere within an organization, and I think it it's the strangeness in terms of terminology is where people remove leadership from managers, where they say you're management but not leadership, right? You're management, but we don't expect you to lead. What does it mean to be a boss or a manager? Does it mean that you're a leader or not? This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I am Edwin Frondozo. Welcome. How's it going? How's your day going so far? Thank you for taking the time to join me today. This is episode number 58, and I'm really excited to share the conversation I had with Melissa Nightingale. Melissa is the founder and partner of Raw Signal Group. She is editor of The Co-Poor and best-selling author of How Fucked Up Is Your Management? An uncomfortable conversation about modern leadership. And our sponsors today are Pongo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash pungle to learn more. And also the Change Leadership Conference, an event that helps prepare leaders, change practitioners, and organizations to lead change in the face of AI and robotics. Join me to hear from renowned AI, innovation, and leadership experts and our leading industry panelists in Toronto on May 30th, 2018. But before getting started, I want to thank all of you who have left me comments. This one from BZ on iTunes. Edwin is running useful, intelligent, and fun interviews with some of the biggest leaders out there. Thank you so much, BZ. If you do leave a review, I will be reading out the latest one on each episode. Now, here we go. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Melissa, I wanted to just get started by introducing yourself. Can you tell our listeners who may not have who may not know you or your work, tell us a little bit something about you personally. What do you like to do when you're not growing or leading companies? Uh, so in my downtime, I really like to be outside. I feel like the product of like 20 years of technology roles has really made me have an appreciation for being outside, walking, hiking, swimming, like whatever it is. I just like to get out and get some nature. A little yeah. bit of fresh air is good. Um, I told you I actually walked here today um, and it's pouring rain in Toronto right now. So it's not the most beautiful walk, but it's nice to get out. Tell us about Raw Signal Group. Let us know what your current role is and what you're trying to accomplish over the next 12 months. Cool. Uh, so I'm a partner at Raw Signal Group and a founder there. Uh, and my husband and I actually left our technology executive roles uh, in the beginning of last year to go found Raw Signal Group based on this idea that we had seen technology companies making the same mistakes over and over and over again when it came to management and leadership. Um, and often for those organizations, it just looked like people who had been really successful in the roles as the companies grew were tapped for management roles. They said, okay, like now you're in charge of a team of engineers, even though you've never had any practice doing that. And so we built Raw Signal Group basically with this idea of like building better bosses is how do you put some structure around how to lead in a fast paced organization and lead in a way that's both authentic to you, but also helps the organization thrive. So before we get into more of your current work and some of the stuff that you've been doing over the last you know year or two, 
I'd like to look at your career, and you just quickly mentioned it. Um, you had a nice leadership path. You worked mm. in both in, in Silicon Valley, in San mm-hmm. Francisco, in Toronto, in global global organizations, and, and you grew within the roles, and, and, I, and I guess you became a manager, and you had manageable teams. So with that in mind, Melissa, can you share some of the key turning points uh, that allowed you to grow? And ideally, maybe turning points are very difficult, maybe some difficult decisions that you had to go through that, you know, elevated you to this type of better boss that we talk about now. Sure. I would say one of the the easiest decisions I made that in retrospect would have been hard if I had been smarter about how hard it was going to be was two weeks after uh, completing my undergraduate education on the East Coast of the U.S., I picked up and moved to San Francisco where I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, that was that was really a big, big decision. But at the time, it felt obvious to me that in 2001, the place I wanted to be for a technology career was in Silicon Valley and in California. And that there was no, at that time, there were not sort of tech centers all over the world that if you wanted to work in technology and you wanted to be at the forefront of what was happening, that was the place to do it. And I think for me, so much of my personal career history is wrapped up in the growth of Silicon Valley. Like for folks out there listening who know their history, 2001 was a terrible time to move to the Valley. It was the the age of pink slip parties. There were no jobs. Everyone said that, you know, the bubble had burst and this was the end of technology as we knew it. And of course, the the reality was very different. Um, but I think for me, the, the growth really came from understanding that, that that was the place that I wanted to build my career and finding those disruptive technology companies that were little tiny companies at that time and finding opportunities to, to work with them. Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So it was really that decision just to follow where the hotbed was for you that, that, that allowed you to grow. And I know you worked for a number of organizations and one of them was Mozilla. Mm-hmm. You, you started as a, a on the on the level on the ground level with them, right? I was the first PR manager, like the first full time PR hire for Mozilla, and I had been doing a lot of public relations work uh, for open source organizations, and they really wanted a very specialized skill set, and mm-hmm. so I did. I think about 17 rounds of interviewing in those days, Mozilla was not very efficient with its interview process. Wow. Um, but ultimately felt like it was again, very clear to me that it was a really good fit and it would be a really sort of important role. Um, and I joined Mozilla around 65 people. Uh, and by the time I left in 2012, it was about a thousand people worldwide. So tell me about that. I mean, being in an organization that is less than a hundred mm. and growing, like what were the things that you had to do to, continually change or like I said like the decisions that helped you grow like I imagine you had a team as well by the time you left yes absolutely I had a a reasonably large team for a PR team by the time I left and was working with about 11 agencies uh, worldwide who were helping support our day-to-day PR efforts which was wonderful Um, but I think in terms of learning like for me a lot of the learning happened the first time I was really thrust into a management role. And again, I think this is so much the story of the companies that we work with at Raw Signal Group Mm -hmm. is that people in those organizations, the organization grows very quickly and suddenly you not only need to be an expert in whatever it was you were hired to do, you now need to lead a team of people doing that same thing. And often they were your peers the day before and now you're in charge of them. And I think for for me, a lot of the work that we're doing at Raw Signal Group resonates with people because of the, the 
fact that this is the this is the world we come from. This is exactly our experience, and so people can relate. They say like, oh, I I know what it is to be a peer one day and be that person's boss the next day. I know what it is to sort of have the management hat and and put it on and feel like you don't have any more answers than you did the day before. But the expectation is so much that you're going to know things that you didn't know the day before. No, hundred percent. And I talk to many people, even my wife as well, when she became a manager in her in her job. It's like. Do you separate? How do you separate this friendship and this and this positional role that you have? Or, or do you, can you not hang out with these people anymore? And these are different questions that must yeah. have arose when you had this, or or did you have challenges as well like that? I think part of the thing that's challenging in tech organizations is that we're all very social with each other. We mm-hmm. have very blurry lines when it comes to when work starts and when socializing starts, and and sort of the I think. One of the hardest parts is feeling like you have a different level of authority or responsibility or obligation in the context of the organization, but you yesterday could just go drink beers with these people and, right. and blow off steam and that that was okay. You know, that was okay on Wednesday, but suddenly on Thursday, there's a whole different ball game. Um, and I think it, it is true that there is a change in that moment. And I think in tech organizations in particular, we underappreciate the, the massiveness of that change, right? Like we're just like, oh, well, like now you're, you're responsible for their vacation requests, but it's cool. Still go get drunk with them. And I think a lot of the bad behavior we saw in 2017 that really sort of hit the headlines really hard it comes from this, this lack of understanding that suddenly you are in a different role and it requires really different things from you. Pretty good segue in terms of which way I want to go because recently you co-authored a book with your husband, How Effed Up Is Your Management? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so amazing book title. I, and I'll, put a, I'll put a link on there. But from what I gathered, the book was actually an afterthought and you just mentioned in 2017. Uh, so you both of you were writing things down as from what the research I've done and, and eventually looked like half of a book by, the, the, by that point. So can you, sh- can you share with us or tell us what, what the book is about and who is it intended for? Sure. Uh, so the, the full title of the book is How Effed Up Is Your Management? An Uncomfortable Conversation About Modern Leadership. And the two of us really started blogging basically because we felt like we, we had seen a lot in our careers in technology and we were watching people make the same mistakes. We're like, someone should tell them. Someone should just like let them know that, you know, drinking on a Wednesday is going to be, it's going to feel really different when you're those people's boss on a Thursday. And, uh, we just felt like a lot of the things we had learned the hard way weren't captured anywhere. And that so much of the modern business writing, uh, particularly around startups was being written from the perspective of venture capitalists and investors and, right. and serial entrepreneurs. And those people had one narrative and they had a, a sort of valid and lived experience that was their own, but it wasn't reflective of what we had experienced as operators within the, those organizations and, and coming up as sort of junior managers, mid-level managers, and ultimately executives within those companies. Um, we felt like that was a story that really needed to get out there. And I think for us, one of the things that was surprising was we started blogging basically because we felt like it needed to exist and then very quickly uh, topped the charts on management and leadership for Medium worldwide and became top writers and felt like more of the feedback we were getting was not from tech people, but was from non-tech people. Right. Uh, was from other organizations. We got emails from people who were in agriculture and people who were in teachers' unions and trying to figure out how to lead there. And so much of the feedback was, this isn't really just about tech. Like You think of it as just tech because the two of you came up through technology careers. But ultimately, this is really about how 
humans exist in relation to work and to each other and how businesses are structured to help those people either achieve amazing things or not. And so for us, it became very clear that the people who read the blog tended to be tech forward people, but the people who are interested in the types of things that we were writing were often not in technology organizations at all. And the best way to reach them, like that next wave of interest was through doing a book. That's amazing. And, and that path to creating that book, how, how fast was that? Because I mean, it sounds like you, the two, between the two of you, you had almost all the content already. We had quite a bit of the content already written, uh, but there's a, there's a difference between blogging. And I think you know this, like we're podcasting, right? There's a difference between blogging and putting it out there raw and doing an actual polished book. And so we had to work with, we found an amazing editor uh, that we worked with locally who helped us go through the process of converting. Um, it sounds silly, but on, in a, blog format you can link to other articles really easily and in a in for a reference format, purpose yeah, yeah there's no html in the book unless you're <laughs> on like a kindle right and so uh for us a lot of the the change was really about how to make sure that the the content still made sense and was still accessible in a really different medium than the one where it had originally been drafted Melissa, this podcast has a wide range of listeners and i think you talk about it right now and we, we really you know you you start on the first level, and then you become a young emerging. You become a manager, first line, and then you become a, an executive. So with your experience and what you're reflecting and the feedback that you're getting from the audience and, and the readers, can you tell us how the fundamental skills evolve over time for these people? Yeah, um, and it's interesting. I think sometimes it works that way. Sometimes you go from junior manager to manager to sort of junior executive to executive. Sometimes, but... Uh, sometimes it doesn't work that way, right? And that's okay too. I think for a lot of folks, they, they draw a lot of identity in the early stages of their career from what we call sort of generalist activities, right? It's how much can you throw at that person and have them still be able to, to hit their deadlines and get their work done on time. And those folks tend to, to sort of thrive in that type of environment. And the moment that somebody puts them into a manager role, their role is really different, right? It's not about how much can you hold on to. It's really about sort of that area of specialization is how can you make sure that other people are getting their things done and hitting their deadlines and getting things like accomplished to a high level of quality. Um, I think for, for mid-level managers, the next step up tends to be an interesting one because you, you have to let go of the things that you really may have drawn a lot of identity from. And we see this on the technical side all the time where you've got engineers who still at an engineering manager level are able to code, right? They're able to stay close to the technical details that they want to. It's their comfort level too, right? It is right? totally their comfort level, but the moment they're in a director of engineering capacity, part of the definition of that role is starting to put down many of the things that, that not only made them successful, but were core to their identity and how they showed up at work. And so that transition can be, I think, a bit more, um, just a bit more challenging than people really give it credit for being. I think people say, oh, it's a promotion and you should feel really amazing about it. It should feel really good. Right. And then people who are living in it often don't find that they feel really good. They feel like they're failing at the new job and unable to to go back to the other job that they did. Yeah. And they're living in this in-between space that that can be honestly just pretty painful. Um, and, and it could so, be long drawn out too. Yeah. And I think it's not... Um, it, it doesn't have to be dramatic. I think it's just the realities of it. It doesn't, it doesn't help to pretend that it's just like an all good thing. The moment you get a promotion that you're suddenly going to be massively successful in that role. Often it, the, 
The reality is not that. The reality is that you're you're working to become good at that role, but the moment that someone gave you the title isn't the moment where you're going to have that expertise. You've been doing you may have been doing sort of the core engineering and have comfort there, but getting comfortable in a leadership role takes time and practice too, and I think we Like anything. Yeah, like anything. Yeah. And I think we we undervalue the impact of that time and practice. So, for, from the folks that you've worked with and the people who's taking that step into that that level, the director level, um, depending on the size of the company, the ones that are successful and are able to transition to, into that leadership role quicker than average, what are you seeing that they did differently than others? I think the most important thing that you can, you can do to support somebody in that role or you can do for yourself is just have the recognition that it's a different job. Right. A hundred percent. If you, if you said to everybody the moment you promoted them, this role is a different role. Like, congratulations. We think you're going to be amazing at it, but let's be really clear. It's a different set of skills than the ones that made you successful in the past. And we're going to work with you and we'll support you to make sure that you get the skills that you need and the development and support and mentorship and coaching that you need. But, but if you walk into this role tomorrow and you do exactly the same number of tickets that you did the day before, that's not what success looks like. And I, I think we would just, we would give people a much better path to management, uh, if we were really, if we were really clear that it's a different role than the role that they had done. And it sounds like to me, Melissa, it's, it's something that comes from leadership as a whole. I mean, it's, it's, accepting someone as a giving someone a promotion and saying here you go we love you we want to see you grow because you've said that you wanted to be in this role in the future in the near future and here's your opportunity but we know it's going to be very difficult yep. and we're here to support you but so are you finding organizations that are failing at bringing up leadership they're not providing that two-way support or 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 they need help as well i think the the piece that, I mean, we're primarily working with technology organizations, but I think this holds for, for CEOs at all organizations or leadership at all organizations. The truth is you have to say things more frequently than you think that you, you would need to for your staff to understand it. And I think the best CEOs are really phenomenal storytellers and the best bosses pick up on that storytelling and make it their own. But I think we, we, we end up with this sort of bad caricature of leadership where it's like towing the party line or just saying, you know, the CEO said this, so this is what we have to do. I think in the best forms of leadership, people get excited about the, not only the challenges of the business, but the opportunities for people to plug into the challenges of the business. And I think in in most contexts where I've seen really successful leadership, that does come from the top down. That comes from the CEO setting that vision, being really clear about it, that founding team saying, this is what we're here to do, um, and, and really sort of having that permeate the entire organization. So if the C-level or the CEO or the top doesn't have that capacity or that understanding who's bringing that into the organization would that be hopefully like the hr space or depending on the size of the company i think it's hard for hr to do it i think hr can be an amazing partner in in the the sort of construction of that narrative but it's very hard for them to do it in isolation i think you know many many organizations have really wonderful and forward-thinking hr professionals that are excited about about this portion of work they need somebody helping them in the context of like, okay, where's the business going? And so I can get a group of people, if I'm the HR person, I can get a group of people really excited about this business. I can drive amazing culture, but it has to, it has to connect to that leadership. If it, otherwise it, it ends up being this weird little island of like beautiful onboarding and beautiful offer packages, but it doesn't plug into anything. 
So what do you think? How are you enjoying this episode? Melissa has a knack of sharing some great insights through her personal experience on growing and scaling small startups. Is there anything that Melissa mentioned that is resonating with you? I would love to hear from you, so let me know via social media. My online moniker is Dragon Meme, Dragon without the A and O, but directly via email to edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. If you are enjoying this podcast, please sign up to our monthly newsletter where we share our latest interviews, events, and upcoming guests. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash newsletter. Now let's get back to it. I just wanted to bring up real quickly, there's terminology that we talk about, and, and I had this conversation as well when I had Seth Godin on. He said, uh, I asked him, what, what's the difference between bosses, which yeah. you say, and leadership? Like, yep. is, is there two distinct in your, in your world? Is it, is it different? Is it the same? I think that my, my sense is like bosses is boss is sort of a frame of mind. Like it's a mentality. I think leadership can come from anywhere within an organization. And I think it, it's, the, the strangeness in terms of terminology is where people remove leadership from managers, where they say you're management, but not leadership, right? You're management, but we don't expect you to lead. And that always feels odd to me because management by nature of, of putting people on the, on the sort of saying we're going to hold you to account for the work of the people under you. We're going to hold you to account for the effectiveness of your team but don't lead them anywhere. It feels very strange to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not particularly fussed about leadership versus bosses versus managers. I think as long as all of them have some core component of you show up and you take ownership for not only the work that you're doing individually, but the work of the the people working under you, and then also your ability within the organization to get things done as a whole, fine. Call it, you know, call Call it whatever you like. No, I love it. I love it. And and that's a really good point in terms of just the mindset of a boss, but Mm -hmm. just because that mindset is there, you are leading people, whether they're first time on their job in their professional career, or they've been there 10 years, you still want to try to provide that type of leadership. So from your point of view, Melissa, can you share some of the biggest challenges or the impact that bosses or managers face today? I think bosses have such outsized impact. This is part of the reason I love working with bosses because I think we've all had the experience of working for somebody where we felt like we didn't have a boss who all the way got us or we didn't have a boss who was all the way invested in our career or in our development and then had the flip side of that of working for someone who really did sort of get you and and feeling fully deployed within an organization and feeling sort of energized by your work. And I think for for me, the idea of working with bosses gives you... It just gives them this this sort of opportunity to have impact on people's lives. And I think we, in a non-cynical way, bosses are always being rated. Like at, at some point in your boss career, you, someone on your team is going to be asked, should I go work for this team, right? Should I go work for the CEO? These are the founders of our organization. Like, do you think that they're going to be successful? And in those moments of quiet conversation, all of your leadership shows up the good, the bad, the ugly, the things you didn't think people saw, the hallway conversation that escalated in a way that you didn't want, like every single piece of that shows up. And so I think the 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 good side is that bosses have this amazing outsized opportunity for impact. The, the piece that I would be mindful of is that like, yes, there's this outsized opportunity for impact, but there's also with that, like comes a whole bunch of responsibility that, you know, you have to be mindful of how you're showing up in the organization because you have 
you, you, it carries more weight, right? People are paying attention and those things show up. Uh, we'll hear from, you know, founders who say, I'm having a hard time hiring. And I'm like, well, when people ask about your organization, what are they saying? Right. And I think people undervalue the, the sort of conversations that happen in hallways about the organizations and about leaders. How, how do we help these, these managers, these first time managers? Is it the same thing from the going, being a first time manager as it is being a director, really having that, that, that coach or that mentor really say, you know, your job is really important. I think it's a, it's a recognition that it's a different discipline, right? And, and if you started and you said, okay, like I am, you know, I'm a junior marketer and you came over and tapped me and said, like, I want you to be the CFO. I'd look at you and be like, okay, but they, I think there's some stuff I need to learn before I'm ready to take that on. Yeah. And probably like we should have a conversation about, uh, about a whole bunch of things that go into that. Um, I just think that conversation is missing from the modern workplace. I think that we, we don't recognize the, the very clear distinction in the responsibilities and skills that make you successful in the role. And, and from a place of understanding, okay, if I'm going to be the CFO and I was a marketing coordinator yesterday, we need to invest in in making it so that I've got the skills ne- like needed to succeed there. I, I think it becomes really clear why we founded Raw Signal Group. To me, like if you're going to put people in a role where you need them to do a different job and you have had no opportunity for them to learn how to do that job or get the support that they need, it's unsurprising when folks either burn out, right? Because like it's not only that they that that the organization finds that they're unsuccessful. They may be in the role and doing the role, but the way that they do it is that they work. You know, they work their day job where they're managing and then they work like 10 hours at night to try and get everything done. I think there's, there's lots of versions of this that are not great for the bosses and they're not great for the employees either. Um, and to get to a better version, I think it starts with this recognition that if we're going to do this, we should know that CFO is a different role than marketing coordinator. No, that's, that's very cool. And it's really, I'm really happy and really glad that what you are doing and your, the work that you're doing at the Raw Signal Group is really helping people strive because, I mean, it could be the worst situation for a, a junior to go into a management or any type of leadership role and not get the support and fail. Yep. Like it, it could make a big impact in their lives. Not only, and this is when we talk about outsized impact, it's not only a big impact in their lives, it's a big impact in the lives of every single person who works with or for that person, right? So if you have somebody in that role and they're not succeeding or thriving in that role and they've got six people reporting to them, like, anyway, I've seen, I've seen organizations deal with like people trying to, to find their footing. And I think it, it matters a lot to like to support the folks who are in those roles. Melissa, can you name a person or persons who had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Yeah, I I think for me, uh, Margaret Wenmacher and Karen Maruni ran Outcast PR, which was one of the first agencies in California that I worked for. And they were... They were really clear on what the expectations were. Uh, they were really clear on what success was. They ran a very, uh, very cool PR agency in the early days of tech. Like Salesforce was a client. VMware was a client. EMC was a client. Yahoo, Facebook, like any, any cool Valley company that you can think of, like they had worked with. Um, but I think the, the thing that they did incredibly, incredibly well was set clear expectations, set a high bar and hold people to account for hitting that bar. And I think many organizations like, struggle with that piece of it and it's something that they did that i i saw them do incredibly well and i was like 24 right Right. it definitely had a a pretty profound impact on me what what are you reading right now 
I am midway through a book called Coactive Coaching, which is actually a, quite an old book. Um, but I, I find it helpful. It's a, it's a lot about sort of a lot of the work that we do on a day to day basis is bringing conversation into the room and making space for people to talk about what's hard. And so a lot of the, the writing from a coaching perspective is really about how you do that with individuals. And a lot of our day to day work is doing that with groups. And so, um, I think in, in sort of, in true executive form, if you're looking for a skill set that you don't have, you figure out like who has that skill set and does that really well and where, what can I learn from them? Um, and so have been, have been really sort of deeply engrossed in this idea of, of different levels of listening and what it is to listen at a level three versus a level two versus a level one. That's interesting. So can you, can you give us the quick calls notes of the difference between one, three, and five there? So I'd say like, <laughs> uh, the difference between, uh, level one listening and everything else is level one listening is you're thinking of either the next question that you're going to ask or something that will make you sound smart when you answer it. And okay. so level three listening is really giving a lot of spaciousness to not only the person who's speaking, but also just your overall awareness of the conversation. Um, and by giving it enough room, uh, it gives one, the person who's telling the story, the opportunity to sort of really dig into it, but it also gives you as the listener an opportunity to, to respond from intuition, not necessarily just from uh, a posturing place of head smart questions. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Um, Fun question, Melissa. If I were to ask any of your team, um, colleagues, past or present, um, what's the best leadership quality you have? What do you think they would say? I think we talked about it in terms of the, the, the piece that really made an impression on me with Margaret and Karen, and they were both clear and decisive. Um, and they, and they stuck to it, right? They really held to these are the, these are the decisions we're making as leaders and we're willing to stand behind that. And I think, uh, especially in the peer to manager role, that can be uncomfortable. But I would say early on, I got a really good working model for what it is to, to be able to not only make hard decisions, but to make hard decisions and stick to them, even when they're not necessarily the most popular decisions. I'm really having a blast today, Melissa. I'm really learning a lot, and I think there's a lot of value um, that you're providing in the work that, that the two of you are doing. But uh, I want to ask you, what else do you have up your sleeve? Do you have any special projects, initiatives, or anything fun that you're looking forward to right now? We do, but I'm like, I'm in the, uh, we do, but we have not announced it yet. Okay. Um, but I, we've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up this fall that we're both really excited about. And I, I I'll tease it a little bit without giving too much detail. Um, We've been working with organizations and it's been incredibly exciting because we go into organizations and we're able to connect with their management core and connect them with each other and give them opportunities to grow in their leadership practice. But one of the pieces of feedback that we've gotten pretty much time and time again is uh, that there are individuals who are interested in that level of training and that level of support, but their offices may not be, right? Their offices may not be in a position where they can send them or they can sponsor them mm -hmm. to go. And so we're playing with this idea of what it would be to, to sort of shift our model a bit. Right now, we work only with leaders from one organization and start to shift our model a little bit and invite people from uh, a cross-section of organizations. Um, and the place I think where this gets really interesting is in founding teams and CEOs who have a special set of needs and requirements as they're learning to be able to learn in space that isn't uh, filled with the people who are reporting to them, right? They, they also need a, a place where they can have really open conversations about what's hard and where the challenges are. And I think to date, they have been the... They've been reasonably like, well, like 
underserved by uh, traditional management and leadership training because it requires them to to do the learning in front of the teams that are relying on them to already know those answers. Do you have any final thoughts, observations? Ideally, what we like is some actionable recommendations that you can share to any any growing or emerging leader that's listening today. I would say like emerging leaders the biggest like piece of advice that I think folks get wrong in the early stages that again like if you tell them it makes sense and they'll nod but it's much harder to live it is really understand the connection between not only your leadership of your team but how that fits in the entire business right like why even if you're like you're running a design team for the first time like what do those designers do in connection to the organization that allows the organization to either succeed or not i think having that in your head being able to connect the work of your team to the work of the organization overall is a, is a it is a very senior level skill set but there's there's no harm in starting to develop that skill set in the earliest parts of your management career and it's something that i think uh early managers look down, right? Like early managers sort of look and pay attention to their team and their orientation is very much down. Uh, senior managers and executives look out, right? Like their their orientation is much more to the organization as a whole or how the organization is contextualized within the market. And so again, in terms of like that jump between uh, senior manager and director being a hard one, part of what's hard there is that orientation from looking sort of like focusing inward to starting to focus across and outward. And so I think if you've got folks who are, are looking for where the next area is to practice within their management career, within their management or leadership practice, I'd say like you can, you can do a lot of work for a lot of years on that orientation of like, how does my work, how does my team connect to the other teams and how does that all connect to the organization as a whole? Awesome. No, that was amazing advice. Thank you for sharing that, Melissa. But to close, can you tell us where we could find more information about you, your organization, your books, yep. and, and things that come, or anything else you'd want to share to the listeners today? So folks who are interested in picking up a copy of the book, Edwin included, uh, can go to hfuiym.com, and that'll route you to the right geographic store for your region. So you can pick up a copy. Uh, Raw Signal, we can, you can find Raw Signal Group at uh, rawsignal.ca. And you can find the COPOR, uh, the original blog that started it all at mfbt.ca. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Shappy, S-H-A-P-P-Y. Uh, and you can find my co-author, co-founder, and, and co-pilot in life, uh, Jonathan Nightingale at uh, Jonathan, J-O-H-N-A-T-H. And if you didn't have a pen, we will be posting all these links and resources on the episode webpage. Melissa. You should it, tell me before I spell everything. No, it's great. <laughs> I love it. But it, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. That's it, folks. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast, episode number 58 with Melissa Nightingale. If you want to learn more about Melissa, Ross Signal Group, her book, or anything we discussed, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 058. Again, our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash Pungo to learn more. And also, thank you to the Change Leadership Conference. It's an event that helps prepare leaders, change practitioners, and organizations to lead change in the face of AI and robotics. Join me to hear from renowned AI, innovation, and leadership experts and our leading industry panelists in Toronto, Canada on May 30th, 2018. 
If you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Thank you.